this true God. We pour out our praise to You. For all comes from You. You're the beginning and the end. Every breath comes from You. Everything that we are is created by You. And so, Lord, in our hearts now, we just lift You up to worship You as God. You are King of this whole universe. We just worship You now. And also just submit and surrender, Lord, as we listen to Your Word and say, Lord, speak. You are God and I'm not. (laughs) Lord, just please speak, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. It's great to be with you uh, here tonight and incredible that we're around to Christmas lights again. Uh, The number of times this week I think I've said, I can't believe it's Christmas lights. Where has this year gone? Where has it gone? It's gone so fast. I'm not sure if you've found yourself uh, saying these types of things as we near the end of the year. Uh, But I wonder if you just reflect to the beginning of the year, uh, maybe where you celebrated New Year's. I don't know what you did for New Year's. Um, But did you make a New Year's resolution? Um, many of us at the beginning of the year, we're looking for some sort of transformation, some sort of change in our life at that period, and we make New Year's resolution. I don't know how you went with yours, but I made a New Year's resolution this year. Um, it, it was a big year for me. I had a big birthday. I had my 40th birthday this year. And uh, like, like um, yeah, yeah, thanks. Some, something to celebrate. Uh, but many, many times at New Year's, I'd often come up with this sort of health kick um, New Year's resolution. But I thought with extra determination on my 40th birthday, I'd come up with a New Year's resolution around my health and fitness. You know, something strange happened when I turned 30. Um, before I turned 30, you know, throughout my teens, 20s, I was, whenever I would get on the scales, I would, without a word of a lie, I would always be 82 kgs always 82. Didn't matter what I ate. I could eat all that I wanted. Didn't matter if I was active or not. Whenever I got on the scales, 82 kilos. But after I turned 30, something happened and the scales didn't always register 82. I can tell you they only went one way and that was up. And so by the time I got to 40, I was thinking I'm having my birthday this year. Um, what, What about a New Year's resolution that by the time I'm 40, that maybe I could get back to 82 kgs. And I thought, well, with determination, I'd go for this. And I thought, I'll sign up for the gym. I got my my wife to buy me a Christmas gift of gym membership, and I joined the local gym, and I got into it. And the first month was awesome, you know, getting to the gym quite regularly each week. And they they gave me this little key ring to swipe in as you go into the gym. And people started to see this this, um, key ring. They said, oh, so you've joined a gym? I said, yeah, yeah, how's that going? I'm going great, going quite regularly, um, going to the gym. It's all good. I'm really enjoying it. A few months later, like maybe say May or so, I still had this key ring and people would say, oh, you're going to the gym, you've signed up gym. Yeah, Um, I I go there. Maybe not so regular as I should. I'd like to be going there more regularly, but yeah, yeah, I go to the gym. And now towards the end of the year, people still notice this key ring and say, oh, um, you're going to the gym? Uh, no, not too often at all, but I do financial, financially support that organisation. <laughs> so here we are, like at the start of the year, we have all these these dreams for transformation. We love transformation, don't we? Whether it be a Renault show on TV, whether it be in our own life, we, we love transformation. 
For me, there wasn't so much there in this year, but we do love it, not just with renovations, not just with our physical appearance or whatever it might be, but even in our inner life. Have you ever, ever had this deep desire to be transformed? And when I, when I say transformed, I mean from the heart, from the core of who we are, that we would be changed, that we would be more loving, <laughs> more patient, more kind, maybe more gentle, more gracious, that we would be more humble. We've, we've looked at this series and looked at the life of Jesus, who was just this most incredible servant, that Jesus laid down his life. That when he lived his life, it wasn't for himself, but his life was for others, that he would prefer others before himself. It's this incredible life that Jesus lived. And within us is this desire for transformation, not just externally, but internally. As we continue in this series in Philippians 2, tonight we're going to look at this, this topic of transformation and how God does that in our lives. But it's important to recognise that as we look at tonight's passage, it comes off the back of what we've studied over the last uh, three weeks. But because Jesus is God, which is what it said earlier in this, this chapter, because Jesus is God, because Jesus came and He laid down His life, despite being king, despite being sovereign over all things, He came down as a servant and was obedient to death, to die for us, to show the depths of His love for us. Because of that, and because He is now exalted, because Jesus is now highly exalted in heaven, because of that, this is how you should live. And we've got to remember when we read this, the Philippian church, they, they didn't open a Bible like we do here and look at the Scriptures. These were some of the first followers of Jesus going like, well, I'm following Jesus, I believe He's God. How do I do this? And so Paul is writing this letter saying, well, as a result, as, as a response to all of this, this is how you live. And so let's have a look at this passage. It's Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Um, it says there, Paul writes, Therefore... My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Paul's writing this actually from jail. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may, be, may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Then you will shine among the, them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As we look at this passage, we see that Paul is speaking about a transformation in uh, the followers of Jesus in their life and it would be that they would shine so brightly in their culture, they would be absolutely different. If you ever notice, if you look up into the sky and you see stars, you never wonder, I mean, as I look at that star, is that a star or is that just blending in with the background? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When, when you look at a star, it's like these lights up above here, they are clear as crystal, it is different. 
And, and Jesus, uh, Paul is saying here, as Jesus transforms your life, you will be set apart. Your life will be different to those around you. There'll be something in you that sets you apart. You'll be like a bright, shining light. So I just wanna look at three things about this transformation that happens in the, in the life of a follower of Jesus. Firstly, what is the picture? What is the picture of this transformation? When I say that, I mean, what's the end game? What's it look like? If He's transforming us, what's the end result gonna be? We'll look at that, the picture. Then we're gonna look at the process. If, if, if Jesus transforms us, what's the process gonna be like? And then thirdly, just look at the purpose. Why is Jesus transforming me? Why does He want us to shine like stars? So let's start off with the, the picture. And when I look at this, we can read, it, uh, read verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me just read that verse again, because it's a bit of a troubling verse, or can be. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know when you read that sometimes, like I know when I was younger, like it was nearly like an anxious thought when I, I read that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It sort of could hold this thought that I, I'm meant to obey and I, I'm meant to work out my salvation, work really hard to get my salvation. That's how this verse is often misunderstood. And I wanna say tonight, if, if that's how you feel, if you're anxious in any way because of that, that oh, I wonder if I'm saved, I wanna tell you that is not what Paul was saying here. This is not what he's saying. And I wanna just share quickly from a few verses to prove that salvation has nothing to do with how well we obey, nothing to do with how hard we work or strive or, or wanna be better Christians. Salvation has nothing to do with those things. Let's have a look at some scriptures just to, to show this point. In the third chapter of this same book in Philippians, verse nine, Paul says that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying here that, that salvation or being right with God doesn't come from um, the law. It doesn't come from my work. It comes from faith in Christ. Do you have your faith in Christ? Are you trusting in the work of Christ? That's where salvation is. In Romans 3.22, he says, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus, in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You know, righteousness or salvation is given, it says there. It's not earned, it's not work to gain, salvation is given. And then in Ephesians 2.8.9, it says, for it is by grace, grace, an undeserved gift, that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's not your work. It is the gift of God. Again, a gift, not by work so that no man can boast. So what I'm saying here is this verse that we're looking at does not say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because unless you work really hard, you might not be saved. That is not what it says. Paul clearly says that salvation, being right with God, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Sadly, if we walk the streets, maybe if we had some sort of um, 
a question, questionnaire or something to all the people that might even come across our property at Christmas lights and we say, well, are you confident of going into heaven or how would you go to heaven? Sadly, lots of people would say, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm good. I mean, I haven't murdered someone. I'm generally a good person. I hope I'll go to heaven. That is generally what people think. But the Scriptures say it's got nothing to do with that. Salvation is by putting our faith in Christ. Many people think I could never be a Christian. I could never be a Christian because I've got to get my life all together and then maybe I'd be good enough to be a Christian again. It's a misconception. It's, it's being a Christian is when we put our faith in Christ. And if anyone is here actually wondering that or thinking that or, or has believed that maybe I need to be good enough to be accepted by God or, or I hope that I've done enough or I'm trusting in the fact that I'm not a, a murderer or a really bad person, I want to say tonight that you become a Christian and you get right with God just by putting your trust in Jesus. And that can happen immediately. It could happen even tonight, even in your own heart. Or maybe I encourage you just to continue to ask questions, ask a friend that's brought you to church, do an Alpha course to understand what the Scriptures say. Salvation is the most amazing gift that we can be right with God because of what Jesus has done and turning to Him and putting our trust in Him. So if it's not that, if it's not that what He means by, so what, so what does it mean when it says work out your salvation. Well, first of all, let's just look at the word salvation or save. It just means um, to rescue. Someone's drowning, they are rescued. That's like salvation, you are being rescued. And when we look at the, the word salvation throughout the Scriptures, we'll see that salvation is used in, in three different tenses. There's salvation in the past, there's salvation in the future, and there's salvation in the present. So let me just explain it like this. Um, you know, when I was about 21 years old, I was far from God and I went to this church service. I heard someone speak about Jesus. And there on that day, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I, I came to the front of a church. I kneeled, someone prayed for me. And at that moment, I was saved from the penalty of sin. No longer did I have to pay the penalty of my sin because Jesus had done that for me. That, that was in the past. That's past salvation for me, that I am right with God because Jesus has saved me. In the future, there's going to be a time when I, when I pass away from this world or maybe Jesus, Jesus comes back. But in that moment, I'll be taken to heaven and I'll be saved from the presence of sin. There'll be no sin in heaven. There'll be no death in heaven. There'll be no hurt and pain in heaven. We will be saved from the presence of sin. There'll be no sin. So what about in the middle between these two places, in the present where we are now, I am being saved, being saved from the power of sin. There's this process that happens in our life where God comes into our lives and life and He wants to change us and set us free from the power of sin. And I wish that it would happen like that. I wish it was immediate. I wish it was magic. I wish I was made like Jesus, just like that. But there is a process that is going on where I am being saved by the power of sin. And when, when Paul says here, continue to work out your salvation, he's saying something has happened inside of you 
Let that keep working out in your life that you would become more and more like Jesus. Let me just illustrate it. Well, firstly, I'll just read this verse in terms of God's agenda in our life. Paul says, "And, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. That's the process. We're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when I first made that decision in the church, when I walked back out of that church, there wasn't this massive external change in my life. You know, um, there was a slower process where my language began to change, maybe my attitudes, the way I treated people began to change, but it wasn't zap. But I, let me tell you, internally, there was something significant that happened. The Holy Spirit had come into my life. That's where we get the term born again. And this change began to happen as that um, Holy Spirit or that seed of the Holy Spirit had been planted in me. Let me illustrate it in this way. If, if you have a, an oak um, seed, like an acorn, and you plant it, you just might plant it in, in the earth. Um, there's a picture there. Initially, um, not a lot changes. It begins to grow. But over a long period of time, everything in that seed has the potential to make a tree like that massive oak tree. So as I said, when I left that church, nothing significant had really changed externally, but internally a massive change had come. The Holy Spirit, same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead was in my life and was beginning and is continuing to work out the potential in my life. And that potential is that I would become more and more like Jesus. What an incredible reality. What an incredible aspiration for all of us that God wants to transform us to be bright shining lights, to be more and more like Jesus. To live lives that are full of love, overflowing with love, to live lives that have more joy, lives that have more peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. There's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that we could be servants that we could prefer other people before ourselves. This is the process that takes place. I, I don't, I'm not following closely, but I have seen on Facebook a little bit of what, what's going on with Kanye West in his life. Um, I, I know that he's put out this new album, Jesus is King. Um, and there's many people questioning, is this real? Like, is it a true uh, response to Jesus? And to be honest, I've got no idea. But what I could say is that when someone commits to Jesus, when they turn to Jesus, when they accept Jesus, what we could expect, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in him, there will become a change. There will become a change in his life. That might not be easy to see now, but we would hope in the years ahead, in 15, 20 years, those that know him would begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in his life, a change in a transformed life. His priorities would change, his character would change because that's what Jesus does. There are countless, thousands, millions of examples of people who have invited Jesus into their life and from the centre of their life, he begins to change them. Paul, who wrote this letter, was one who who persecuted Christians and later in his life, we, we see him laying down his life 
for Christians. You see Zacchaeus, a tax collector, ripping off people. Then after meeting and encountering Jesus, his heart is generous and he's giving towards others. Countless examples. So that's the first thing we see, the picture of transformation. The picture is, the end result is to be more and more like Jesus. But how does this process take place? And there's a little bit of tension in this verse and and around this, this process of how it would take place. If I ask you the transformation in your life or my life, is is it my responsibility to become more like Jesus or is it God's? That's the question we have. And as we look at this verse, it says in verse 12 and 13, it says, work out your salvation. That's us working out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. So you see this balance of, of, yes, we are working, we are engaged, but God is working also in this process. You know, some might say, oh, we, we don't have anything to do with it. Just let God change us. Others might say, well, we're saved by grace, but then after that, we've got to work really hard to become more like Jesus. But what this is saying, we'll go on just to show, is that in the middle, there's this um, aspect of both God being at work in our life and us responding to it. But let's look at, firstly, at at what role we have um, in this process. And Jesus himself said in Luke 13, 23, he said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Every effort. So it's not that it's just passive. We're making an effort. In James 4, 7, when talking about temptation, um, James writes, submit yourself then to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, there's an action being taken of resisting. It's not that we're disengaged. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So there again, it's make every effort. And in Philippians 3, Paul, just in a couple of chapters after this passage we're looking at, says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There in that passage, there's this imagery of an athlete pressing on or striving and straining using every bit of muscle to to accomplish all that Christ Jesus wants in his life. So there's this balance. There's a call from the Bible for us to be engaged in this process of change. But it's not alone. I want to tell you that it's not alone. For it says there, God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. God is working in us. And now let's have a look at some of the verses that speak of God's role in it. Colossians 1.29 says, To this end, this is Paul writing again, I strenuously contend. So there's the sense of him strenuously working with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. There's that balance there. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, it says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. 
It's this sense of him working, is doing all that he can, but he understands that it is because of the grace of God, of God's help in his life. And then 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8 speaks of us being able to live a holy life because of the power that God has given us. In verse three, it says, His divine power, the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption the world caused by evil desires. So there He speaks about us participating in the divine nature and Him giving us everything we need to live a godly life. But then in verse 5, He says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this, this sense of the partnership between God and us. Wayne Grudem speaks of, of this partnership and And he says there is cooperation and maybe our role, definitely our role is not as big as God's and we work in different way, but we are participating in the purpose of God in our lives. And he says there is actually like, there's a passive aspect of us cooperating with God and an active aspect. Probably the biggest and the most important part is our attitudes and our response towards God in wanting to be transformed. The, The first thing is that we are, called to be desperately dependent or to rely on God to be changed, for His power to be at work, to actually see that we need God to work in our life and depend upon Him. There's another sense of just praying and saying, God, please change me. Are we working? I guess we're praying, but we're asking God, we're depending on God. We know that we need God to help us. There's a part within us that we have to open up our life and admit that we need God to come. Uh, A need within us, again, quite passive, just to trust God and to believe that He can change us. Sometimes we might feel defeated, we're never going to change, but God is big enough and we can trust Him in that as well. So there's like a passive aspect of responding to God. And then there's the more active, which I've touched on before, that that speak of things like resisting or making every effort. Um, In Romans 8, it says, put to death the misdeeds of the body, the sin in our life. Put to death, it's like an active role. So how, how does this practically outwork in our lives? Like when we leave here tonight, when we're living throughout this week, how does this practically work in our lives? Well, the Bible speaks about walking with the Holy Spirit, uh, hearing the voice of God and the promptings of God and beginning to walk with Him. This sense of listening and hearing God Um, submitting to God, surrendering to what He wants in our lives. God is always at work. He's always wanting to speak to us and guide us and prompt us and convict us. And if we have open ears to hear, and if we continue to listen to that voice and obey that voice, it'll become clearer and clearer, but we'll become more and more transformed over time. Sometimes as we look at transformation, we can think that it's overwhelming, but really, It's just one step at a time. And one of the first steps is just giving permission. 
If you look at um, home renovation shows, I've seen, there's so many these days on TV, I've seen quite a few, but there's one thing I don't think I've ever seen is that's a show where people give absolutely no permission to renovate their house, that someone would just come in and renovate it and then leave. There could be one out there, I don't know. But in every show, uh, the owner of that house would have to give permission to the renovator. And then they go through all the rooms of the house and they look at the bathroom and say, we could do this and this and this. We could change this and this, go to the kitchen, the outdoor area, the backyard, and they begin to renovate it. But at the start of that process, there's permission. And similarly in our life, God doesn't just come and barge in and just renovate and change our lives. He'll prompt us, he'll convict us, but he'll never just barge into our lives and and into the rooms of our lives. But he'll ask permission and he'll he'll, he'll ask if he can work in these areas of our lives. And whether it be our, our our work, our, our leisure, whether it be our minds, our desires, our friendships, our family. God is always wanting to work if we are open. But the thing about any renovation project that happens is there has to be a level of either dissatisfaction with where we are at or a, a trust that what we're giving up is better. It, it, if I think the renovator is not going to make my kitchen better than what it already is, I'm not going to change. I'm not gonna invite them to come and renovate. And so similarly in our life, there has to be a level of either dissatisfaction or a trust in the love of God that He has something better for us. And so if we are comfortable with our life right where it is, if we are comfortable with the control of the life of our lives where it is, there's no sense of transformation coming. But when we invite God in and say, God, have all of me, God, have every aspect of my life because I trust you and I know you are a loving Father and I know you can transform me. That's when change will come. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed by that thing. Well, how do I transform? And as I said, it's just step by step. Maybe you even know in your heart and mind now something that God's been prompting you or speaking to you about. It's just a matter of obedience, listening, and then obeying that voice and continually doing that to bring transformation. In 2010, a friend of mine asked me to do this crazy project, which was a 2,000 kilometre walk. Um, We walked from Cairns to Stanthorpe to raise awareness of the 2,000 languages that still didn't have the Bible. And I'd done one long walk um, in my life and that was a 40K walk. It was with this same friend who said, what what about on my 40th birthday, let's just walk 40Ks. Like, I don't know who does that and I don't know who goes with them, but I did. I went with him and we walked 40Ks and I tell you, I could hardly walk by the end of it. Actually, at the end, it was so painful. I was like, I don't know if I want to run or walk just to get this done. But somehow he convinced me to do this 2,000 kilometre walk that I thought was absolutely impossible. I mean, I seriously thought it was impossible. It was just not going to happen. But he convinced me. But what I learned, one of the things I learned on that walk was that if you take one step or maybe two steps, you've gone this far, three steps, you've gone this far. And if you do that for an hour, you'll walk five to six kilometres. And if you do that for five to six hours, over six hours, you've probably walked between 30 to 36 kilometres. That's one day. 
And if you do that for a week, you've walked nearly 200 kilometres. And if you do it over a period of 82 days, which is what we did with rest days, you've walked 2,000 kilometres and the impossible has happened in 82 days. And you think about transforming your life. And if you want to change and you want God to come and change your life, it's not difficult in one sense. It's taking one step after the other. It's obeying that voice of God and Him saying, you know, I'd, I'd love you just to think about this. Okay, God, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think there's this potential in you. Why don't you, why don't you think about this? Yeah, yeah, okay, God. What about this? You know, you know that's been in your life and it's probably not the best. What about, what about this? Yeah, yeah, okay, God. And, and this. And one step at a time, imagine like at the end of a month, imagine the end of two months, imagine your life in 10 years. Think of that acorn that become an oak tree. The, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, listening and obeying the Holy Spirit, God does the work within us. God is always changing us, but he asks us to continue to partner with him in that. And what is the purpose of it? Just finally, what is the purpose? As we look at that in verse 14 to 16, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. There's this sense of them shining as they become transformed to be more and more like Jesus, that they will be bright, shining lights. And there it says holding firmly to the word of life, they're holding it, but it also has this sense of holding out the word of life to those around them. This is what Jesus does as we begin to, to live lives of humility, lives of serving one another, not grumbling, not murmuring, not arguing, but laying down our lives for the others, people will begin to see that we are different. Not because we're anything special, but because God lives in us and God is doing something in us. And as a community does that, I want to encourage you, as a community does that, people notice uh, this week I had the incredible opportunity to begin to deliver and to give out some of the hampers. Uh, last Saturday, G'day Saturday, there's, um, we gave out these hampers and it was just like this buzz around as we gave these hampers and people just said, like, this church is so kind. We haven't seen love like this. And I want to encourage you and your generosity. You're, you're the ones that brought and you're the ones that packed these hampers. I want to encourage you that people notice and then they ask their questions, sometimes silently, sometimes openly. What is it? What is it about you that is different? Why would you love in this way? We can hold out the hope, the word of life that is within us. One of the clearest illustrations I think of this is um, schoolies. Uh, 48 young people from the church, young adults went down there to the Gold Coast just to serve I mean, just to serve and to love at school is this year. I've just got a short video of one of um, the 48 that were here, uh, her story about how they were able to serve and love uh, down at schoolies. Hey, my name's Jess. I am the team leader for schoolies week one at the Gold Coast. So on Saturday night, um, my team and I, we were just doing some door knocks just 
um, introducing ourselves to some of the schoolies just before they headed out to the beach party. And while we were door knocking, we just see this schoolie open the door behind us and she peers out and sees us and she says, oh, the red frogs are here. Can you guys come in? I really need your help right now. One of the girls has vomited all over herself. We walked in to figure out what was happening and we saw the schoolie just covered it in vomit it, all through her hair. It was all over the bed. She just totally passed out. Yeah, the, the, her friends said they tried to take her to the shower. They couldn't take her to the shower. They were really struggling. They didn't know what to do. And so we said, okay, well, let's let us try. We tried, we couldn't, we, we were a bit stumped. We didn't want to leave her with the vomit in her hair though. And we weren't comfortable leaving her in that state. So one of the team members actually had the bright idea. We can't get into the shower, then we'll bring the shower to her and just got out some wet wipes from her bag and we just started cleaning her hair. And so we were pulling out the chunks of vomit out of her hair and then we got her friends to get her shampoo, conditioner, shower gels, um, and then we went to town. Um, the boys in our team went and they were just getting fresh bowls of water and rotating them. We had this assembly line of, of water coming through and so we were just dipping her hair in the water and then we'd shampoo it, we conditioned it, we brushed it and it was all soft and silky and it smelled better than mine. One of the things I love about frogs is the amount of trust the schoolies have in us. It's not ideal to, for someone to see you at your worst. People usually try to hide when they're at their worst. I don't want people to see them, but the schoolies have a lot of trust in us and they'll call us and they're, they're not afraid to, to show themselves at their worst. And it's just, it's a real privilege to be able to look after them when they aren't doing so good, when they are covered in vomit, when they are feeling unwell. I guess the way I see it is every individual, regardless of their background or the choices they make, have value. They are valued. And so if you see each person as having value, then each person has a right to dignity. I treat these schoolies the same way I treat my sister, my mum and my dad. You know, I really do love them and care about them. And so I wouldn't want to see my sister in that situation. She's, she's so loved, you know, she's so, She's valued, she has value, she has worth as a young female. And so of course I'd do it, like if I'd go back and do it again. Isn't that an incredible story of um, just love? Uh, we, we read in the previous passage um, around Jesus' life that he was one who would come to serve, that he would come and love. And this is who we're called to be as a community. And I want to encourage us as we enter into this Christmas season, into Christmas lights, that as we serve, as we welcome, as we smile, as we greet people, as we look for opportunities to serve people, they will ask the question, why are you different? Why is this place different? And I want to encourage us to continue to do that, not just at schoolies, not just at Christmas lights, but this is the way of life, the way of being a Jesus follower. In my workplace, in my school, in my area of study, with my family, I can be a servant. I can be like Jesus and lay down my life. I can live in a countercultural way that people might see and ask, what is it? What is the hope that's within you? And we can hold out that hope to each one. 
And I just thought, just as we go into this Christmas season, to Christmas lights, if you would just want, like to stand, I'd just love to pray for us as we go into this Christmas season that God would reveal Himself uh, to people as they come onto this property, as we invite people in to come and hear the good news this Christmas, that they would experience something of the light of Christ uh, in their life. Would you pray uh, with me? Well, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you that you came to save us. What a great thing, just even in that, Lord God, that we don't have to work to earn our salvation, but Jesus, you came for us. You paid the penalty for my sin, for each of our sin. We just want to praise you for that. And thank you, Father God, that you come into our lives by your Holy Spirit and you want to transform us. And Father, we just want to pray that you would help us to be a people who are ready to listen a people who are ready to obey, a people who will join you on that process of transformation in our lives. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to look to you. Help us to take one step at a time. And Father, we wanna pray that this Christmas, many, many people would see you. They would see you, Father God, not Bridgman Baptist Church, not lights. But Lord God, they would see the, and experience the light of the world, the, the great transformative power and hope of this world. Lord, there will be thousands that will come. And Father, we just, just say that while we put in effort, while we'll be busy this week and throughout the next week, we can do nothing without You. Lord, we need Your grace to come. We need Your power to come. That You would open the eyes of the blind that, Father God, our lights would shine in this place. So, Father, please lead us into this season. Please empower us, empower each one and all that they'll be doing and empower each one as we go and invite different people to our Christmas services, we pray in Jesus' Name. Amen. Just going to finish in worship here tonight, speaking of the light coming, but also within it, it's an invitation for God to come and work in us. And we just continue tonight and respond in this song of worship. Lord, that's the prayer of our hearts tonight, that You would have Your way in us and through us, great God. We want to be a people who hunger and desire to live holy lives, Lord to hunger after righteousness, great God. We thank You for all that You've done in our lives. We've heard Your Word to us, great God, that You are inviting us again tonight just to open our hearts to You, great God. This transforming work You long to do in our lives, and it's right through the whole journey with You, great God. You want to keep changing us, keep refining us, keep making us more and more like You. And so tonight, Lord, I pray for some here, I know you'll be prompting about areas of, of, of our lives, Lord, rooms, situations, circumstances, things that we're not allowing you to come in and fully work. Well, Lord, right now in these moments, great God, we just say to you, Lord, come, purify our hearts. Come, do your work in us, great God. Make us more and more like you, Jesus. This is our prayer so that we might know your nearness, your closeness in our life. What blessing that is, great God, to know you're close to us, great God. And Lord, we pray that as we do that, that you would shine more brightly than ever before through us as your people. That is our prayer, Lord. 
as your church, Lord, that we be a people that seek after you with all of our hearts, great God. Wouldn't become complacent, wouldn't become just 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 to journey along, Lord, and, and just become apathetic in our relationship with you, Lord. But we want to hunger after you, Lord. We long to know more of you in our lives, great God. And we pray that as we do that together as your people, great God, your light will shine so brightly through our lives. Lord. As people come, they would say there is something different. Great God, so full of your love, so full of your life, great God. This is our desire as your people. So help us in that, we pray. But we want to be open to that, great God, tonight. We don't want to hold back anything. And so, Lord, just now in these moments, we do that, great God. We respond to you. We open our hearts to you afresh tonight. And Lord, I too want to pray for next Sunday night as we gather here, as we welcome the crowds, Lord God. I pray that they too will discover this life, this grace, this love that is found in you and you alone, Lord, over all those nights. Lord, raise up many more helpers we need, great God. Help us as we welcome the crowd. Share the good news of the message, the true message of Christmas, why you came, Lord Jesus. And so we pray your blessing. But Lord, we're expectant. We are faith-filled, Lord. This is your heart. You're on the move, great God, drawing people to yourself. So help us to love well, we pray. Help us to share this good news, we ask. And we pray as we do this, we will see a whole community transformed, great God. Our city impacted for you, Lord. To the ends of the earth, in fact, great God, that you will do your 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 powerful, your mighty work, we pray. This is our prayer. So we pray this with all of our hearts and we ask this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. And everybody said, amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer tonight, God's been stirring something in your heart. Make sure you come and grab one of the pastors afterwards. We'd love to pray for you. If you came with someone, let them know I want to be prayed for tonight. We'd love to pray for you. Don't forget to come out this week and you can help us from 9 to 12 from Tuesday through the Friday and Wednesday night. Come with us as we pray together. Ask God to pour out His blessing. Thanks so much for sharing with us tonight. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you soon as well. God bless.